of the face with this concave drooping aspect on this side. And this is a painting by one of my patients uh, when she was recovered from psychosis, trying to express what it felt like when she was psychotic. Uh, this marvellously entitled uh, image, The Maxims of Nincompotamus, a word that should instantly go into the language, um, shows uh, certainly not uh, normal eyes, some rather un uncomfortable things going on certainly in that eye. And you also get uh, a, a triface here called the tridial you get these three aspects of the face looking each way and forward. Uh, these three faces are not uncommon as an image in schizophrenic painting. This is by um, Stanley Lynch, uh, a patient uh, of mine in Camberwell, uh, at one point uh, a patient of mine, um, who uh, I think is a very, very skilled artist. And this theme occurs in a number of his paintings. This, I think, is also by Stanley. Again, the convex, attenuated left hemiface. This skull here even exemplifies it. You see there? And here you get these repeated profiles. Um, here there are two nested profiles in this hemiface, or even perhaps three. And this quite extraordinary picture, these are all by Stanley Lynch. Um, remarkable for a number of reasons. The geometricity of the eyes, their obvious asymmetry in terms of their geometricity, with the rounded uh, motif in the, the right eye, the, the left one as you look at it, and the sharp triangular one in the, in the left eye, the right one as you look at it, and also this... Um, uh, again, sort of narrowing and falling aspect, <laughs> repeated eyes, and the intrusion of text, lost, lost, gone, gone. Uh, also, uh, a, a very common theme is these uh, parallel lines and zigzags or jagged lines. Uh, here's another example. Uh, here, I suppose, would be another one. Um, and this painting, again, intrusion of text, um, and uh, these parallel geometric motifs, a sequence of eyes, a big eye here. And I think, um, here, sorry, another uh, remarkable picture by the same artist. I won't keep repeating the features, but you'll see them for yourself. This very dense picture, extraordinary for these repeated um, parallel lines, sometimes wavy, sometimes curving, sometimes straight, so look like sort of rays or waves, um, intrusions of text, uh, distorted asymmetrical faces, even the glasses there worn by the subject follow the asymmetry. Um, and this is not by Stanley Lynch, um, a somewhat earlier picture, I think from the 30s, I can't remember the name of the artist, um, but my reason for putting it up is it portrays a rather interesting feature, which is uh, skeleton art. Um, you sometimes see this in very, very early representations of the human form, um, many, many thousands of years old. And it's thought to be the first way in which um, we represented uh, ourselves was by representing what we knew rather than what we saw. And as it were, one knows the skeleton is there, although on the whole one doesn't see it. In the, the middle of the picture here, I mean, in some ways it's a very big topic, but as you move from the medieval world in which things are portrayed as we know them to be, uh, you move into the Renaissance where they are portrayed as we see them and encounter them in experience. Um, I haven't got on this sequence some slides, but they are pictures and illustrations included in The Master and His Emissary, of a medieval manuscript which shows, um, quite apart from the flattening of perspective, which came in uh, about 100 years after the picture was made, um, 
it shows uh, distortions of size which relate to importance. So there's a very large bishop in the middle of the picture and a rather small burger going off on his, in his uh, horse. And, um, of course, in reality, the man is not about the fifth the size of the bishop, but the bishop, we know, is important, so he gets to be bigger. Um, and there are pictures from the same period, the sort of late Middle Ages, the Last Supper, not showing people as you would encounter them sitting around a table, but showing a diagram, rather like a place setting, from the air of the table and the, 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 the heads of the people, uh, the sort of a child's eye view. Um, and in... Uh, as we get older, we get more capable of representing perspective. Perspective is, in fact, almost entirely a product of the right hemisphere. Um, again, in the Marshallese Hemisphere, there's a very striking illustration of that from a commissurotomy patient, a patient who'd had the, the two hemispheres surgically uh, divided. And before the operation, both the left and right hand can draw a cube in perspective. After the operation, the left hand, which is still getting information from the right hemisphere, is able to draw a passable cube, but the right hand, the right hand, which has been drawing cubes all its life, can no longer draw a cube because it's getting no input from the right hemisphere now that the commissure has been divided. And it draws a flattened out cube, like a square, with little lines going off from the corners, rather as a child might try to draw a cube. In the middle of this picture, there's a very interesting, again, uh, divided face, an asymmetrical face. And it these pictures put me in mind of Edvard Munch's famous picture. I'm sure all of you have seen this picture, um, which shows a number of features that you would expect might be those of a psychotic subject, a sort of morbid uh, repetition of waving lines in earth, land, and sea, and this concave face, which is reminiscent of the number of the faces that I've shown you. And in fact, Munch did have psychotic breakdowns and spent a period of his life in an asylum. Um, he was also, of course, capable of <coughs> drawing um, a, and representing very beautifully a more normal-looking face. This is a self-portrait, I think a rather fine work. What strikes one is one doesn't at first notice down here there is an arm which is entirely skeletal, and it is, in fact, his left arm. This, I think, is by Egon Schiele. Uh, this is by a Bethlehem patient showing uh, the sort of oddness of attention to this eye, so that it seems, in this case, uh, this is sort of relatively un unimportant here, but the, the, the bit that's focused on is the bit over here in the, in the left hemiface, where the eye is sort of super large and super noticeable. Um, and here there's something that looks a bit like an eye that's got over the mouth, although it's described as a white light or disc. These describe hallucinations that the subject experienced. <coughs> yes, they are, yes. Um, if you didn't hear the question, are the notes on that picture by the artist? They are. Um, here, another rather odd agglomeration of pieces, some of them geometric, some of them body parts. Uh, occasional intrusive eyes, uh, more by the same subject, showing uh, curious geometricity around faces um, and replication of eyes. Now sometimes these eyes uh, get to be converted into little nodes in circuitry and there's a, a person down here, uh, a stick person, somewhat reminiscent. Do you remember yesterday I showed you representations that were all by the left hemisphere and drew your attention to the column representing a person, which is sort of rather reduced to a symbol here. And I'm not sure quite what the significance of these diagrams is. It's impossible to say. There are some shadowy eyes here. But uh, the thing I want to draw your attention to is the way in which this looks a bit like a piece of electronic circuitry. And here are eyes more clearly um, at, at the nodes um, and connected again by wires. Uh, another one with uh, similar motifs. Uh, this is by a, a, a different artist from the previous three slides. Um, 
again an intrusive. Uh, this is actually a detail from a, a rather bigger uh, picture. Here's an eye on something that looks to my eye a little bit like a neuron. There's also another hidden eye here. So perhaps those wires represent part of, I don't know, neuronal structure? I don't know. Here, again, replication of eyes, uh, dislocated features. Use by Stanley Lynch again. Eyes sort of mixed into tubes or intestines or something. Um, and here, eyes that are very strange. They're by a, uh, uh, not from the Bethlehem archives, I think they're from the Princehorn collection, a pair of eyes that exhibit almost paradoxically two features. One is a sort of morbid geometricity of reproduction of the eyes. The eyes are not actually as geometric as this makes them seem. But at the same time, um, a deliberate production of asymmetry. And um, I thought I would refer, coming on to the topic of machinery and its relationship to the human being in schizophrenia, lots of patients describe themselves as turned into machines, as one... Bethlehem, and one of Bethlehem's most famous uh, uh, patients, uh, Tilly Matthews, James Tilly Matthews, who uh, had all sorts of strange and interesting paranoid beliefs. He believed that there was a conspiracy um, which was influencing the minds of politicians to uh, create continuing war between Britain and France. Um, perhaps not so mad, uh, but he did have some other strange ideas um, that this conspiracy had constructed a machine controlled by a figure he called the Glove Woman and that this machine uh, influenced him by uh, electrical and airborne connections and uh, this machine he called the Airloom, a rather nice sort of pun. And the illustrators of Madness is imaging a singular case of insanity. So it's one of the very first case studies of an individual patient. And a no less remarkable difference in medical opinions about what actually this represented. Developing the nature of an assailment and the manner of working events with a description of tortures experienced by bomb bursting, lobster cracking and lengthening the brain. Embellished with a curious plate. Well, I thought you might like to see the curious plate. This is the heirloom at work with the various people um, uh, working it and being influenced by it. You see the rays coming out from it and uh, interesting characters such as this figure up here with a close-up of that. This is a very common uh, experience described by schizophrenics that there are rays that are controlling them. And the most articulate, uh, extensive, well, certainly one of the most articulate, extensive uh, descriptions of uh, his own madness was by Schreber, the, uh, Daniel Schreber, the, the um, provincial uh, judge in Germany who was the uh, subject of Freud's only speculations on psychosis. And he described many of these features, including feeling that he was changing sex, that his body was changing or disintegrating, 
um, and that he was uh, controlled by, by rays. And he was able, because he was a very intelligent and very highly educated person, to reflect on this in ways that were able to sort of stand back and see the curiosity of it, but nonetheless his commitment to his experience. This portrait of the puppet master possibly represents that same experience. And my speculation is that this is this idea comes from the feeling of not owning your own actions, not owning your own self, a lack of what uh, Louis Sass calls ipseity, the feeling of the automatic um, intuition that one is who one is. This, this, once it becomes alien from this and starts to examine oneself as an odd object in the world alongside other objects. And if one is not in control of oneself, who is in control? It must be a puppet master or an heirloom. This is by uh, a, a German patient called Jakob Mohr, a very striking example of this, showing the uninfluencing machine with its rays going into the various parts of the body. Um, another one, uh, I think, by a French, uh, French subject, whose name I forget, Robert G. This I like very much, the Fisk out of Aqua. <laughs> Um, one's not quite sure what the fisk here is, perhaps it's not important, it might well be this creature, but it's been well overtaken by this very prominent insect with a half face and a single eye. There are also intrusions of human faces in odd places, including repeated profiles, and of course text in the picture. But it's a fabulous work of art in its own right. Again, these odd uh, geometric symbols coming in. And uh, the theme of insects reminded me of how prominent these can be in such paintings. This is a detail from a picture that I'll show you the whole of in due course by uh, a, a man called Brian Charnley, a very gifted artist who was a patient of the Bethlehem Royal Hospital. And uh, this, he painted a sequence of paintings which are very beautiful but also very moving. Uh, they, they were painted over a three-week period during which he decided to take himself off his medication and see what happened. And as time progresses, one sees these pictures becoming more and more bizarre until the last picture is more or less a, a blank uh, canvas with geometric blocks of colour. Um, but I just wanted you to note this uh, intrusive insect with a very enlarged eye here and uh, odd body parts. Uh, when you see the whole of this picture, you'll be quite um, surprised as to how that works. Here, um, a picture that you will, as you know, the Master's Emissary will recognize by David Chick. Um, what I want to draw attention here to is not just the obvious observing eye, which I think again represents the sense of being observed by something or controlled by something, one doesn't know what, which is presumably parts of the mind that are not conscious. One of the things about schizophrenia is it's not um, a lack of reasoning, it is in fact an, a hypertrophy of rationality in which everything that is intuitively understood has to be painfully and laboriously reasoned out from first principles, often reaching some very bizarre conclusions. And if there are parts of your mind that you're not aware of, namely the unconscious and what comes from the body, that give you things and tell you things and, in fact, inform many of our judgments and opinions and abilities to solve problems and so on, um, if they're not from you, where are they? They must be from an external source that is watching you. And uh, this eye is one of those. I wanted to draw your attention to this morbid geometricity again, with these rather interesting um, decorations in the rays here. Um, and the fact that this character is changing sex, it seems to me. It's obviously got a man's face, but it appears to be developing female body parts. There are, of course, um, intrusive faces here. Uh, but the interesting thing is that although this geometricity is designed to show depth, this is, in fact, a very two-dimensional picture, and this figure appears perched uncomfortably on the, on the edge of the plane here. This was uh, by the same uh, artist, David Chick, uh, at a different phase of his illness. 
again showing these parallel wavy lines, uh, geometric patterns, intrusive faces, the eye, and here the, the face itself has been replaced by um, an abstract shape. These are striking. I don't know whether this originated as a face and its two eyes, but uh, shows the theme of uh, this strange geometricity, which uh, you see in, in these two or three pictures, all by this same uh, artist. Are these pictures uh, These ones from the 1930s, 40s. Um, and here you've got, uh, sorry, uh, a, a face that has strange contraptions going through various holes in it. Um, and here a, a, a painting by a schizophrenic subject, an Irishman called Sean Malloy, who changed his name to Sean Farouk, um, possibly picking up that his drawings had, or maybe which was consequence and which was uh, cause, I don't know, but a, he, these have the air to me of oriental fabric, and this could be a, a, an inlaid saddlebag or something of the kind, but with um, what looked to me like flames or fire coming out of the top here. This even more <coughs> looks to me like an oriental textile. Um, but sometimes faces are and not just faces, but any objects, but particularly human objects, are uh, turned into exercises in geometry in which there are interlocking circles and shapes that are drawn with a protractor there and, and so forth. Um, this would be an illustration of what I call morbid geometricity. This is by the same artist um, showing uh, text, uh, a sort of symmetry in the picture, but the symmetry is there to draw attention to the asymmetries. There isn't that face there, and these two faces are in themselves asymmetrical. Uh, that's also <coughs> present in another. Oh, sorry, this is a different. This is by the same artist. Um, rather, rather enjoyable uh, contraption. Um, it might actually be the something like an animal. Uh, there certainly is here, uh, this uh, geometric construction. Uh, in the middle here, randomly, there intrudes a cat. Could conceivably be a dog, I don't know. If so, it's very unusual, because it's mainly cats that one finds in these pictures. Um, here again, you get the sort of presence of symmetry and asymmetry. There's a geometrically symmetrical picture, but in fact, interestingly, some things are not symmetrical. You get mirror writing here. <laughs> and this wonderful thing uh, is uh, by Valerie Potter, I think. Um, she left a number of pictures to the Bethlehem Archive. Here again, you have. Uh, the hands and the eyes in this face, interestingly asymmetrical. You get repeated eyes. Um, you get this mass of detail. Um, the crowding of detail in such pictures is very, very characteristic. There's a bit of mirror writing here. It's another, I don't know, feline face. different picture by the same artist. Um, face here with, is it a cat? I don't know, asymmetrical eyes. And this is by a, a Viennese count who spent the last 30 years of his life in, a, in an asylum. And there are many, many sheaves of these sort of things in the archives of Bethlehem and elsewhere of um, repeated explorations of uh, geometric designs sometimes here turning into the human form or the human form turned into some sort of geometricity.
here perhaps an ultimate example of the human face in that style. It may interest you to know that this was by the famous dancer Nijinsky, who had a psychotic breakdown and was temporarily hospitalized at Bethlehem. Uh, this, which looks like a piece of textile art, is in fact conjoined pieces of paper. Uh, this is by a German woman, um, and uh, she also... Uh, sorry, I've put that there to show this um, enormous, elaborate overworking, if you like, of detail, which is so typical in, in all these pictures I've been showing you. And it comes to its apotheosis in a completely self-taught uh, artist um, who has 143 uh, uh, names. He goes by 143 different names. His favourite one is von Strupp. He's, in fact, an Englishman. And um, this is an enormously skilled representation, but it, is, it shows a number of things. Enormous detail, no sense of overall form, however, um, a magnificent sort of working which is almost claustrophobic. The, the feel, one feels one needs air and space in this depiction. One also sees uh, odd body parts <coughs> in here. Um, and you may not have noticed a sort of saber-toothed tiger that's uh, a detail in this uh, picture. Can you see it here? Um, and this is just to give you a close-up of some of the sort of things that are going on in this enormously detailed and skillful picture. Here, a couple of sort of odd mouths uh, dangling on stalks over the vulva. Um, this is, uh, uh, again, another picture by von Strupp. Again, you see this elaboration of detail, the lack of space, the extraordinary um, intrusion of different elements in here, um, these beautiful faces, I think I've got a close-up of them, uh, no, there's a hand, there's this little hand here, and a horse, I think I have the faces, yes, um, these three very beautiful faces, um, this one oddly with this side of the face occluded. And these are by um, Madge Gill. Uh, she left a number of rather fabulous drawings and paintings to the archive. And here I'm really looking at the, well, again, the enormous elaboration of detail, the geometricity, uh, the business of uh, parallel or almost parallel waves or lines, uh, repeated motifs in different areas of the picture. Um, here you have the faces. This is um, by um, a, a chap called Nick Blinko. Quite hard to see. It's not, not a very good picture, I'm afraid, or the quality of the reproduction is not very good. Um, a face here, various sort of eyes appearing in this picture. Other little faces down here. Um, and this uh, famous painting is by Richard Dadd. Uh, Richard Dadd was a painter who was hospitalised in Bethlehem and seems to exemplify what Tom Stoppard calls the cognomen syndrome in jumpers, if you remember, Bones becomes the um, orthopaedic surgeon and so forth. And in fact, in real life, I've known many people who, to whom this cognomen syndrome seemed to apply. Um, when I was at school, the choir master was called Surplus and the art master was called Drew. And I've worked with doctors' blood, pain and trimmings and various other things. But um, <laughs> the, the, Richard Dad um, is, uh, ended up in Bethlehem largely because he killed his father um, by pushing him into the serpentine. But he was a, also a very skilled artist. Again, many features that you'll recognise, the crowding of detail. It really reminds one of features, in fact, of Victorian painting. Uh, the Pre-Raphaelites exemplify this to some extent. 
They are very good on detail, but the overall composition is less impressive. And it is an interesting reflection on what happened to art in the 19th century. Henry James said that the uh, Victorian novel was a, a treasure house of detail, but in different whole. This is the fairy fella slain, which you see the, the, uh, the, the main point of this picture going on here. This also is by Richard Dad. And this. I don't want to labour the features that you will no doubt pick up as quite similar to a number of other pictures you've seen. Um, here again we have <coughs> geometricity with intrusion of writing to such an extent that the picture is largely composed, in fact, of words overlaying. And some of the pictures that uh, have been archived uh, are largely made of words or single letters, as here, mostly not uh, conveying a clear message. This is actually just single letters, but it has taken on a shape of swarms of creatures. Um, here again. And this, uh, the words have sort of receded really here to create rather beautiful patterns of shape, of banding across this picture. And uh, the, the message, this is from a Swiss uh, patient, is very touching. The phrase repeated endlessly here is Herzschätzli, come, come, my darling heart, come, come. Uh, this is um, a piece of textile art before textile art was fashionable. You might think this could be seen in a gallery in Camberwell um, in 2014, but it was in fact done in the 1890s, in which a woman embroidered her life story onto this jacket. Um, I'm just reminding you that there are interesting intrusions of text in those pictures by Jonathan Martin a very, very long time before text started to be commonly introduced into pictures. And now we're going to have a look at cats a bit more. Cats have a fascination for schizophrenic subjects. Um, I don't think it's any indiscretion for me to say because it was widely publicised in the papers. You may remember in 1993 there was a uh, a very dramatic incident where a young man climbed into the lion's enclosure at London Zoo and was very badly mauled and he was in fact psychotic at the time and uh, uh, after he'd been through a thoracic unit he came to the bathroom and uh, he was quite obsessed by cats he had an imaginary cat of his own called Pip the Cat and wrote poems about this cat and they have been very common in the minds of subjects with psychosis. These are cats, as you see at the top, rather reminiscent of Louis Wayne's cats here, a rather odd, disproportionately large cat. Um, here, a rather distorted-looking cat, or cats, another intrusive cat. Um, here, a cat and fire in the same picture, which is quite nice. Um, and various cats here. Um, a cat portrait by Stanley Lynch showing the sort <coughs> of uh, disproportion in the face that he uh, shows in his human subjects. Um, possibly a tridial cat here. Um, another cat, an interestingly asymmetrical one. And now we come to the work of Louis Wayne, probably the most famous um, of all psychotic artists, thanks to the greeting card trade. And here is one of his sort of happier and more jolly uh, subjects, almost sinister when one realises um, who it was who painted it for its jolliness. And he painted cats obsessively and repeatedly, and as his illness progressed, the cats became more and more interesting and more and more strange and perhaps um, uncanny the sort of fire or radiation coming off from this cat. That is particularly um, uncanny. And 
the caps start to become more geometric designs, again, rather like oriental tapestry, remarkable for their detail. Here again, you see these waves of energy, as it were, coming off these zigzag parallel lines, also introduced into the fur of the animal. Cat getting harder and harder to spot. Well, this might give us a clue to the interest in cats. Um, in a way, cats represent the more ruthless, the more Machiavellian aspects of our nature. Um, I love cats and have had cats and I'm about to inherit two cats, so <laughs> I'm quite fond of cats. But, uh, and I've been very lucky in having extremely um, affectionate cats, but they are noted for being more aloof than dogs, who are you know, obviously famed for their empathy. This story, I, I don't know whether you can read it from back now, I'll read out the captions, but this is about, I think it's how the cat gets round a dog. And here you have, be friends, there's distrust from the dog of the cat, um, be wary, then mating it up, which is all really about getting the dog's bone and running off with it. And the dog is left looking a bit uh, sheepish. And in fact, the only dog that I could find a picture of a dog as opposed to a cat in the archive was this one, which is by a depressive subject, which in a way <coughs> is interesting to me because in depression there's relative overactivity of the right hemisphere, and which is about empathy and understanding in the face, which is exemplified in this rather amazing uh, dog portrait, and is the opposite of the um, more manipulative aspect associated with the left hemisphere, and possibly with at least what we project onto cats. After all, they've got an awful long way, cats, on the notion of being frightfully intelligent by just not being very expressive. Um, and uh, these are by a, um, um, a Victorian um, psychic who uh, was called Barbara Honeywood, and she uh, specialised in drawing plants and visions she saw in plants. Now, these look relatively normal. This is slightly less normal because of the rather odd arrangement, I suppose. Um, and here you get a pretty much one of those uh, stereotyped symbolic flowers that I showed you happens with the left hemisphere yesterday. Um, but when you come to look at these, they become representational at a level that is, uh, in some cases, not easy to see. I don't know if you can see there are crosses on the, is it the pistol, this thing? I'm not much of a botanist. Um, but you can see, you can see them here, here more clearly, up here, and in this uh, flower. Uh, intrusive text, I think that might say, ti amo, I love you, I'm not really sure. Um, the flower is becoming more and more stylized here, and much less representational. Uh, I think it says, ti amo, because here it says, my love, uh, L'amour, something, something, which I can't read now. And I just wanted to draw your attention to a completely random intrusion of a face of a girl, and here, even more oddly, an eye. You see that? And this is dating 1850, 1860. And here again, back of a head, the dorsal aspect, um, an eye something looking a bit like a neuron. I don't know going on there. I'm sure Barbara Honeywood didn't know what a neuron looked like, but there we are. Uh, these are by Adolf Wölfli, a, a, um, a Swiss uh, architect, uh, Monquet, uh, who designed many uh, buildings and cities. Again, you see the, the flattening of the plane of perspective here, um, interesting uh, geometricity, uh, enormous detail. Um, these are all by Adolf Erfley. Fabulous pictures, I mean, very rewarding to study. And here I'm going to just move on as I come to a close to talk about uh, Brian Charnley because I mentioned his uh, series of paintings as he progressed further into psychosis. This is an example of one of his early paintings, perhaps not terribly interesting, you might say, but quite astonishingly accomplished again. Um, this is a picture of a plant called water bistort. 
and he could really have been a botanic artist. This is another of his pictures, which is very reminiscent. I don't know if any of you know, uh, no reason why you should, but a fabulous, probably the greatest plant book ever published um, by Thornton, Thornton's Temple of Flora, in the turn of the 18th, 19th century. And the plates look very, very like this, enormously detailed pictures of flowers with a, a landscape background. And he was also a very accomplished portraitist. Um, this is a picture of his girlfriend and a self-portrait. Uh, rather sadly, she also suffered from mental illness and shortly thereafter threw herself out of that window. Uh, these are also by Brian Chandley as he became more unsettled. This is a picture representing his sense of being controlled. And here, as the body starts to fragment, you see the tormented mind, the body and its senses sort of barely tethered anymore to him, and uh, the nose, the mouth, another mouth, and I having uh, abnormal relations to one another, if you like. Um, here is, again, a portrait showing the interior of the brain. This is the microphone, which is uh, implanting voices into his brain. There's oddly also a motorbike, a soda siphon, um, and this little head here, you don't immediately notice. The sense of machinery or metal parts in the brain or body is very common complaint by schizophrenics, uh, not necessarily that they're turning into machines, that certainly happens, but the parts of their body are being replaced by metal parts. Actually, parts of my body have been replaced by metal parts, but don't tell my doctor. Um, um, I can recommend a, a hip resurfacing to anyone who hasn't had one. And here, uh, there, here is the whole picture, which I showed you a fragment before. Do you remember I showed you this fragment here with the the eye of this insect and this body of an insect with a human head. So you have half of a face, which is pretty much normal until you notice this insect leg coming out here. And this other half, which shows the agglomeration of items, a cup, a head, a wing, a part of an insect, a mouth, a nose, and so on, on this side of the, of the picture. Uh, in here again, the interior of a head with many eyes. Uh, in a detail which I don't know whether I've got a close-up of, you see the picture of his girlfriend falling from the window. Many faces here. Yes. Um, lips here, an ear here, an eye here, going round on a Ferris wheel. Half of a face here. And uh, just to follow up the motif of the eye, am I okay to go on for five minutes? Uh, Right, okay, well, uh, fine. Um, <laughs> um, the, the, the eye has been an, uh, an image since ancient Egypt. The <coughs> eye of Horus was the basis of the beginnings of geometry and measurement. Um, and uh, I just remind you that in paintings by schizophrenic subjects, there is a surprising number considering how rare pyramids and sphinxes are around Beckenham. Um, <laughs> of the, <laughs> Uh, motifs from Egyptian art. The Egyptians, by the way, very uh, indeed worshipped cats, as you uh, no doubt know. Um, the pyramid, of course, there. Um, the pyramid here. Um, and uh, pyramids start to appear along with an eye in the Reformation, which is the point uh, I suggest in the second part of the um, of my book that after the Renaissance, the left hemisphere begins its comeback, if you like. Um, and indeed, uh, 1525, this is, I think, one of the earliest representations of an eye in a pyramid, which comes from um, Pontormo. Uh, it was, of course, uh, a symbol that has been used by many sects, by the Rosicrucians, uh, in, uh, even in Orthodox Christian mythology, to do with the Trinity and the eye of God. It's interesting that the parts of God's anatomy that get represented, I don't think only for reasons of propriety, uh, tend to be the eye and the hand, which are the things that um, point and control uh, and uh, appear very often in schizophrenic pictures. You remember that pointing hand at that face uh, with the word bispo. Um, possibly I remember bishop. This is, of course, um, any Americans in the audience will recognize the greenback. 
Um, it's a, a, an idea that comes to prominence at the Enlightenment, actually, this image of the eye and the pyramid. But here in Magritte, you see a rather uncomfortable conjunction of very sharp pyramids with an eyeball. But it's not just in modern art. What date do you think this surrealist picture is? 1800. And it shows the whole of an opera house reflected in the pupil of an eye. Um, it is, of course, essential to the whole movement of the Enlightenment, the Declaration of the Rights of Man, uh, and appears during the uh, period of ongoing uh, French culture in the 19th century, repeated eyes, and then he goes into modernist art with uh, very strange um, images, which I'm, not, I'm just going to flick through because we really haven't got time, but they become a theme. I'm going to try to get on so that I can finish in the next two minutes. Uh, to a painter called Victor Brauner, with which I'm going to conclude. Victor Brauner, a um, Romanian Jewish artist who was an emigre in Paris in the 20s, um, painted some very interesting pictures, um, not just this uh, curious uh, juxtaposition of um, an eye and some other part of the anatomy, but he painted repeated self-portraits with one eye missing. This is a self-portrait with an enucleated eye, I'm not saying he was psychotic, though he did have curious um, episodes of illness that required him to go into a clinic. I, we don't, unfortunately, know exactly what that was. But the curious fact is that this was almost premonitory, because after painting repeatedly portraits of himself losing an eye, he got involved in a, in a brawl in a bar in which he lost an eye. But these all pictures uh, antedate the, um, the... Here you see the picture of the man um, with... Uh, the lost eye. So, the, to sum up, what have we been looking at? There have been a number of features, I would say, of these psychotic patient, pa paintings, some of which go along with what you ex would expect if there was a, a sort of overdrive of the left hemisphere and an underdrive, if you like, of the right hemisphere. These include gross facial asymmetry, a loss of facial expressiveness, Hemi-neglect, which I referred to and will come back to if you want, but which appears to be reversed in this case, um, that may have to do with uh, the reversal of asymmetry in the brain of schizophrenics, as I suggest. Um, detached observing eyes, the sort of membra disiecta, the sort of parts of the body separated and cast asunder, a loss of the three-dimensional a claustrophobic um, uh, sense of the two-dimensional plane in which you are uh, trapped by uh, the enormous amount of detail. Detail, of course, is what the left hemisphere's precisely focused vision sees rather than the whole, which tends to be neglected. Morbid geometricity, so uh, complex um, curving living forms uh, tending to be represented by simple, um, uh, almost platonic solids like pyramids, cubes, uh, um, orbs, and so forth. Uh, intrusions of text, um, the verbalizing aspect of the left hemisphere possibly um, coming in there, the, the, the verbally, verbally expressive aspect, um, not usually involving um, the elements of language which are implicit. Um, the, the man-machine, uh, or the, 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 the human being turning into a machine, and electrical circuitry, um, fire as a kind of energy, I don't know what its significance is, I'd be interested in your thoughts all about all these things. Pyramids, I, I really don't know. Um, insects I can sort of see, because uh, as Merleau-Ponty said, when you are subject to another's gaze and they're not really empathically entrained on you, you feel as though you're being observed by an insect and that you are an insect. Um, and if that empathic business of understanding faces and gaze is lost and the world appears a threatening place, then this reduction of the human to the level of the insect is possible. But why cats? Um, <laughs> well, uh, here's a quote from Christopher Smart, which is just what was interesting. For by stroking of... He loved his cat, by the way. For by stroking of him, I found out electricity. This was very, very early on. Um, for I perceived God's light about him, both wax and fire. Do you remember those images of fire coming out of the cat with Louis Wayne, the, the cats in the forest on fire by Jonathan Martin, the tiger tiger burning bright in the forest of the night? For the electrical fire is a spiritual substance which God sends from heaven to sustain the bodies both of man and beast. I think if you live in a world where you're cut off from sort of intuitive energy, maybe you see this as an external force. It's a difficult one to, to explain, but I just 
give it to you as an observation. And, well, <laughs> our cat spies sent by aliens. Uh, a deep examination of one of the Internet's best conspiracy theories. And this is backed up by all kinds of incontrovertible evidence, such as um, the uh, Egyptians... Uh, there were no cats mentioned until the Egyptians, and the Egyptians refer to them as gifts from the gods. Wow. And uh, that scientists cannot explain the cat's purr. Say no more. So, there we are. Anyway, uh, stop there, but if there are any questions, I'll answer them. Yep, thank you.